Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. Our Sunday services have now moved online and you can tune in every week for worship, prayer and our weekly sermon by going to christchurchlondon.org forward slash church hyphen at hyphen home. We're now going to hear the talk from this week's Church at Home service. So hello there Christchurch London family. It is so great to be with you today, either in the comfort of your own room, thanks for having me, or if you're at one of our in-person services. I guess just to give you a quick update on the Stockwell service that Jackie and I lead, we had our first in-person service in 23 weeks last week. And it was just so good to be back together, to be in the same room with more than six people, uh, even if that was sitting two meters apart, wearing face masks and humming rather than singing. Jackie's take on meeting together was that it was like coming back to your house after a long time away and finding some of your furniture not there. You definitely notice that things are missing, but it still feels like home. And it really did, it really felt like home. It was just so great to be back with our church family. We also managed to set up a kind of Zoom call from the venue, which meant that people who weren't able to or didn't want to come back yet could be involved in it, could dial in. So we're just trying to work out this kind of in-person Zoom hybrid. It's all very lo-fi at the moment. We'll let you know how that gets on. And just to say, if you do ever want to stop by one Sunday, you would be more than welcome. Just check out the calendar page on our website for details about how to begin for that. So today it is down to me to wrap up our summer teaching series on living by faith. We've been looking at this incredible roster of faith-filled heroes that we find in the book of Hebrews chapter 11. And over the last couple of months, we've looked at some of their stories to inspire us and to encourage us to live as they did, with a robust, persevering, courageous, communal faith, both in the goodness and in the promises of God, which led them to walk with him and pursue him for incredible things in their lives. So we have looked at Joshua and the walls coming down in Jericho. We've looked at Noah building the ark. We looked at Enoch, looked at Abraham and Sarah. And last week we returned to the story of Moses and the way that God led him and the people of Israel out of Egypt through the Red Sea. If you have missed any of those, you can catch up either on our podcast or on our YouTube channel. And last week, uh, Raf looked Um, and talked about this kind of recurring motif or refrain in Hebrews 11, uh, which is that of the ability, or maybe better to say the discipline, the practice of these faith-filled and faithful women to keep their eyes fixed upon the things that are unseen rather than just on their seen circumstances. Hebrews 11 starts off with this very well-known verse, which says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. And the focus of Raf's talk last week was this idea of being able to see the one who was unseen. Moses, we are told, had his eye on the one no eye had seen, which is something that we are able to choose to do and help one another to do by pointing people to and looking ourselves to Jesus. Jesus, the image of the invisible God, who may be physically unseen at the moment, but has been revealed to us through his life, his death, his resurrection, and also through the way that he has been at work in his people throughout history. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the writer to the Hebrews says straight after this chapter, if you want to live your life with a similar perseverance and faith-filled obedience. So last week, Raph encouraged us to keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus, the unseen King. And this week, I want to encourage us in light of that to keep our eyes upon his unseen kingdom. 
even when that kingdom seems very far off and even when it's easy to feel that it isn't coming anytime soon. Now, I don't know if you've already read to the end of chapter 11 and you know how this part of the letter finishes. If you haven't, then you may find that ending to be a bit of a surprise, maybe even a bit of a downer. For most of the chapter, the writer details all these amazing men and women of faith and the amazing things that they did as they faithfully follow God. In verse 33, he really starts to ramp it up. What more shall I say, he starts. I don't have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies and who even saw the dead raised. I mean, that all sounds super impressive, doesn't it? And rightly so, you're left thinking, wow, a life of faithful obedience to this unseen king can lead to some pretty amazing things. But then before you can make the jump that we all tend to make with things like this, before we start equating a life of faith with an always victorious life or an always successful life, however we define that, the writer hits us with the flip side of what living in faithful obedience to the unseen king can also mean. There were others, he reminds us, who was tortured to death, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection, which doesn't sound quite so great, does it? Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sword in two, which is how two of the most famous Old Testament prophets, Jeremiah and Isaiah, are understood to have died. They were killed by the sword, which is the exact opposite of the people in verse 34 who escaped the edge of the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, he continues, describing the kind of usual cheap, unfancy clothing of the prophets. Destitute, persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. Yet these two were all commended for their faith, even though none of them received what had been promised. Wait, what? I hear you say. But I thought that living in faithful obedience to God always led to victory. I thought that we are all victors in Christ now. I thought that life with Jesus was up and to the right. Sorry to burst your bubble, but no. And this is actually what I absolutely love about the Christian faith. It's just so realistic. And by that, I mean it corresponds so well to the reality that we see around us. There is, I think, a dangerous theology that has crept into the Western church that focuses exclusively upon the victory that is ours in Christ. Firstly, without much reference to the way in which Jesus actually won our victory, won victory for us, and because we are his followers, the way that we too often have to win our victories, namely through self-sacrificial love, which often is very hard to distinguish from what most people would just call suffering. But then secondly, without much reference to the daily reality, if we take a global perspective of the majority of Jesus' followers who are alive today and actually most of human history. And that is that faithful obedience to this unseen king and a faithful longing and welcoming in of his promised as yet not fully seen kingdom here and now in our part of the world doesn't always work out the way that we want it to or in the time frame that we expect it to happen. 
Look at what it says in verse 13 again, that there were those who lived faithfully and yet did not receive the promise that had been promised to them by God. They lived their whole lives in faithful obedience and yet died without seeing the fulfillment of God's promises to them. But, it says, even though they did not receive the promise, they saw them. They welcomed them in from a distance. Though they did not physically see what God had promised them, though they couldn't reach out and touch those promises and live in the good of those promises in their lifetime, yet they saw them. They saw them with spiritual eyes, with eyes of faith. They imagined them in such a way that they were fully confident and fully assured that one day, because the unseen king had promised them, his as yet unseen kingdom would come. And so they lived in such a way as to welcome the promises of his kingdom from a distance. I love the picture that this paints. The writer says that these faithful women and men were like someone standing on their doorstep, seeing a close friend far off in the distance and waving madly at them as they walked towards them, with a smile on their face and love in their eyes beckoning them in to come quickly as they can't wait to be with them. And this, my friends, is part of the calling of the people of God in every generation. It is to see with eyes of faith the future that is yet unseen, the future that is still far away, the future that has been promised to us by our unseen king that we see, and to faithfully stand in the doorway of history, beckoning his kingdom to come. Which means that part of our calling here in London is to allow the spirit of Jesus to so fill our hearts and our minds that we are able to imagine different possibilities for our life together. And to propose alternative ways of living and working and structuring society that are based more closely upon the heart and the values of Jesus. In many ways, this reimagining is happening all around us right now. This global pandemic, the global disruption that it has caused to pretty much every part of society is leading a lot of people to stop and think, are we really doing society right? Have we built the way that we really want to be building? Have we structured things in the way that really does lead to human flourishing for all? And whereas the temptation may be to just try and return things as quickly as possible to the way that they were, I think this is an incredible moment for us as followers of Jesus to reimagine with eyes of faith what society could look like. What our city and our streets and our workplaces and our relationships could look like if we built with the kingdom of Jesus, the values of that kingdom in mind. In his seminal book of the same name, Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann refers to this as having a prophetic imagination. It is the vocation of the prophets, he writes, to keep alive the ministry of imagination, to keep on conjuring and proposing future alternatives to the single one the king wants to urge as the only thinkable one. The king here in this quote isn't Jesus, it isn't the unseen king of heaven, rather it is the, the very visible earthly king, symbolised by the rulers of empires like Pharaoh or Caesar, or even the Israelite king, King Solomon, who used their power to oppress and who perpetrated their reign, not only by coercive and violent means, but by insisting upon their way of doing things as being the only way of doing things. And Brueggemann says that this kind of earthly consciousness creates a mythology about itself that insists upon its own inevitability, 
shutting down any alternative way of imagining things, both for those in power, but also for those on the underside of power. And so he says it is the prophet's role to imagine a different future to the one that is being presented as the only thinkable one, and then to help others to imagine it too, and then to work together to make that imagined future a reality. And for Brueggemann, this prophetic role is a role to be taken by the whole church, by all of those who follow Jesus, not just a select few as in the Old Testament. If we had time right now, I would love to show you how the master builders in the Lego movie do just this, how they act as prophets by literally imagining a different world into being. But sadly, I don't have time to explain the Lego movie to anyone who hasn't seen that. So if you'd like to chat about that, I would love to chat about that and do get in touch. What I can do instead is to give you an example of someone who did just this. One of the best modern day examples I know of, which is obviously Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. giving his I have a dream speech on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial to a crowd of 250,000 people who had taken part in the Civil Rights March to Washington in 1963. I don't know if you know this, but Dr. King's I have a dream speech hadn't actually made it into the final version of the speech that day. The March on Washington was this huge event. It had a whole roster of speakers, including the late great John Lewis, who at just 23 was the youngest speaker that day. And because of the number of speakers, Dr. King had given, been given five minutes, just like everyone else. So he'd carefully crafted his talk and thinking he'd only have time to center his speech around just one metaphor. He chose to speak about the bad check that the African-American community had been given, representing America's failure to deliver on its promises of freedom to its black citizens. But as he reached the end of his talk and as he paused, Mahalia Jackson, the gospel singer known as the voice of the civil rights movement, who Raf mentioned also last week, she was sitting a couple of rows in front of him and she turned around and shouts out to him, Tell them about the dream, Martin. Tell them about the dream. Again, this is why living in community is so important to the life of faith. And in response to that invitation, in response to that mandate, Dr. King pushes his notes to one side. He looks out over this crowd of people and he begins to imagine aloud a different future, a different reality. He begins to speak of us an as yet unseen and unreceived inheritance that he was confident would one day be given because it is the evidence of Jesus' kingdom come to earth. He stood at the doorway and saw the future in the distance and he welcomed it in. In that moment, he gave voice to a different future that he had already imagined, already seen with his eyes of faith and he helped a whole generation to see it too galvanizing them to work together to, to bring it into reality. Now, I know the danger, anytime you use someone like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. as an example, is that most of us instantly disqualify ourselves because we measure our lives against his and we recognize quite rightly we're not even in the same sport, let alone the same league as someone like that. And so we can decide to just leave this prophetic imagine, imagining, prophetic speaking thing to people like him can be the same actually when we read the scriptures, when we read a chapter like Hebrews 11 about all these giants and heroes of the faith, we can just disqualify ourselves. But friends, it really is not about the size of our platform or the size of our influence. 
It is about allowing our imaginations to be reshaped by the spirit of Jesus in such a way that it affects our vision, the way we see, the way we choose to live. So I have friends who speak and live prophetically in loads of different areas of life. Some in the whole area of creation care and sustainable living. Some with regards to ethical clothing. Others with regards to purpose-driven business. Some in the areas of justice reform, others in education reform, others still in social care reform. Some who are working for community cohesion, some working against serious youth violence, some working to bring an end to racial injustice. All of these people, my friends, not only make a habit of fixing their eyes upon Jesus, but because of that relationship with Jesus, are reimagining and seeing a different future a future more in line with the values of the kingdom of Jesus. And they are welcoming that in through the way that they live and the way that they speak and the way that they work. And all of us get to do that. And not just that actually, but all of us are gonna need to do that if London and the UK are gonna get through the pandemic in a way that is good for everyone and not just good for a few. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught his followers to pray, Our Father in heaven, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You may have prayed that prayer yourself. We prayed it in the service last week. You may have prayed that prayer countless times. But have you ever stopped to imagine what God's kingdom come to earth, his will being done right here, right now, would actually look like? Not just kind of imagining the age to come, the new heavens and the new earth, but imagining the world that you wake up in every day. The street that you live on, the sector you work in or volunteer for, the relationships that you are heavily invested in, the global economic and political relationships that you knowingly or unknowingly are a part of, even the very earth that you are dependent upon. What would all of that look like if it was even just 10% closer to the way that God intended it to be? Can you imagine it? Can you see it with eyes of faith? Can you see the future that is yet unseen? I've no doubt that for some of you listening to this, you know exactly what that future looks like. You have seen it already. You're living with the reality of that. You're already standing in the door, beckoning it to come in. But I would guess that for many others of us, we may find it harder to see, harder to imagine. Well, as chance would have it, we're going to be spending the autumn term thinking and praying about this in our new Sunday teaching series called Kingdom Come. And I, for one, am so excited to think about this together in community especially in light of the rebuilding that we're going to need to do because of COVID-19. One of the images I've come back to again and again in recent weeks is this one that's coming up on the screen. It's a pretty grainy, pretty low quality image, but it's a picture taken in Lambeth where I live during the post-Blitz rebuild. After the Nazi bombing campaign of the Second World War, there was just obviously a lot of physical rebuilding that needed to happen right here in London. 
If you lived here, as soon as you stepped out of your front door, you would be confronted with it. You just couldn't escape it. It was all around you. And it didn't matter if you were one of the lucky ones and your house and your business was still standing. You just got involved wherever you could in helping to rebuild your neighborhood and the city. Now, I understand that we're not at the end of the pandemic yet. I understand that even to talk about rebuilding when we may be about to enter a second wave of lockdown may seem kind of super premature. But don't you think it would be good to start praying and preparing now about the part we can play as individuals and as a church in rebuilding our city? To be asking God now for a bigger, more creative, more faith-filled, prophetic imagination so that when the time comes, we can so clearly see this kingdom future for the parts of the city that we are involved in, that we can call others into reimagining it into being. In this kind of prophetic imagination, I think it's going to be even more important this time around because the damage just isn't so obviously visible. So much of it is behind closed doors. It's hidden. It's the kids who have fallen behind at school. And the food poverty that has increased dramatically. It's the job losses and the debt and the domestic abuse and the mental health issues. And for those of us who have been less affected by COVID, who have been privileged in that way, the temptation will be to try and kind of continue as if life is normal. But we can't do that. The city has changed. The world has changed. And as followers of Jesus, we are invited by him to faithfully meet this challenge head on and to play our part and to keep on playing our part, to be here for the duration, because that's the other incredible aspect of these heroes in the faith at the end of chapter 11. It's their incredible lifelong perseverance. The way that they continue to walk with God, continue to welcome in this promised future year in, year out, without ever receiving it in their lifetime. Which means that they worked faithfully for promises that those coming after them would inherit rather than themselves. There's a quote I love that expresses this beautifully. A society grows great when old people plant trees in whose shade they know they will never sit. I mean, that, that is strong, isn't it? But you know what? It applies to young people too. We know that for many people, being in London is just for a season. It's actually what makes building church here exciting and dynamic is we're always welcoming in new people, benefiting from new relationships, new ideas, new perspectives, new energy. Yes, it is also one of the things that make doing church here heart-wrenching, as those of us who have decided to set down roots here constantly are saying goodbye to people that we have grown to love. But anyway, you have to take the good with the bad. But anyway, my invitation to you, my encouragement, my exhortation, is that even if you know you're only going to be here for a season, that you make the decision to get stuck in that you actively choose to help plant some trees here under whose shade you may never sit in. With our eyes fixed together upon Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, let's together reimagine what London could look like. And then for as long as we are here, let's faithfully work together to welcome that kingdom future in. Let me just pray for us and then we will worship again. Father God, 
We are so grateful for your love for us, first off. So grateful you sent Jesus, that we would know you're a God who loves us, wants to reconcile with us, and has a plan to redeem and rebuild the world, to remake it, to renew it. And we are just grateful that we get to play a part in that, Jesus. Thank you for calling us into this great mission to see your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because we know that you are a king who is loving and so your kingdom is a kingdom of love. You are a kingdom of justice, so your kingdom is a kingdom of justice, a king of mercy, a kingdom of mercy. Lord, we know that your kingdom rep- represents you and so we want to do all that we can. We, we say we choose to live with our eyes fixed upon you. And in doing that, we pray that you would create in us this imagination to see the future as you intend it to be. And not only to see it, but to welcome it in, to reimagine the future in a way that makes it a reality. And Father, I pray that just in this next season, even as many of us are still dealing with the effects of COVID in all its different ways, dealing with grief, dealing with heartache and pain, that we don't dismiss that, diminish that. We understand that there is a lot of pain going on, but also we understand that you have given us as a church so much privilege, so much wealth, so much opportunity. And we want to take that together and do all we can to bring your kingdom to come here in London as it is in heaven. Do that in us, I pray. Speak to us, I pray. Enlarge our capacity to imagine the future and give us faith to walk that out day in, day out. In your holy name I pray this. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this talk from the Christchurch London podcast. To hear other talks or find out more about our Sunday services, head to christchurchlondon.org.